How are we doing, everyone? Great. That's what we're talking about. I thought I was going to have to work hard for a moment this morning, but if we're going to be like that, we're going to be good. All right. Um, why don't you open your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13. We are in, we just started a series last week. Who got blessed last week? I got blessed preparing it. I got blessed preaching it. And uh, God is good. We're looking at the pearl of great price. We're looking at this, this overarching question of, is Jesus worth it? In a culture that is telling us that comfort is king, is the call of Christ, the call to commitment, the call to a cross, worth it? Is he worth it? Matthew seems to think so. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 45 to 46, he says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away. He sold everything he had and he bought it. He sold everything he had and he bought it. That seems like a crazy thing to do, to have this to, to have everything you've got he's got land he's got a merchant of fine pearls he's someone who probably has a fair bit of wealth he's got a lot going on for him and yet he finds this pearl of great price he finds this one thing and it causes him to get rid of everything else so that he can attain that one thing and what Jesus is saying is that that is what his kingdom is that is who he is that he is that pearl of great price and his call to Christians, his call to those uh, who would hear his voice is not come and be my fan, we said last week. Not come and just be someone who is interested in me, someone who likes me, someone who maybe goes to church occasionally, someone who posts on social media about me. He says, I'm calling you to come follow me. And the call to following is very different from a call to fandom. A call to following is a call that says, I am with you. I am in this. Come hell or high water, I am walking with you. Even if the dust of your feet is going to land on my feet, if we're going to, wherever you're calling, I'm going. And that's the call of Christ, a call to following, not a call to being a fan. And the danger we have is that we live in a culture at the moment that we said was a yes, unless culture. This Low commitment. Yep, I'm interested in that event. Unless something better comes up. And the danger in the church is that that culture is creeping into our faith where we're like, yep, I'm with you, Jesus. But I've got to go and sort this out first. But just let me go and deal with that. But just like, you know, the kids, are, the kids didn't sleep. This is happening. I was crook last night, like all this stuff going on, we're saying, oh, but yes, but unless this. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Come, follow me. That is his call. And so this sermon series that we're looking at is really, if he is the pearl of great price, why is he worth it? Like, what is it about him that makes him worth following? What is it about him that makes him worth like dropping everything and chasing after him? That's what we're looking at. And last week we looked at the idea of rescue. This week we're going to look at this idea of rest. Who's with me? Do you know in Philippians chapter 3 verse 8, Paul writes something fascinating. He says, he says, What is more, I count everything as loss. 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What is more, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Is he worth it? Paul thought so. John thought so. Peter thought so. Apollos thought so. Corrie ten Boom thought so. Mother Teresa thought so. Calvin thought so. Martin Luther thought so. John Wesley thought so. George Whitfield thought so. We could go on and on and on and on of all these people throughout human history who have said, yes, you are worth it. What will this generation say? What will the members of Hills Baptist Church say? Will we be content with a Sunday service every now and then? Will we be content as a fan who keeps the kingdom at an arm's distance and says, yeah, cheering you on? Or will we be followers who seek first the kingdom? Seek first. I'm not saying everyone has to sell their house and move to Africa tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, can we pray? Can we prioritize? Can we seek first the kingdom? Can we put Jesus genuinely at the top of our list? Can we seek him first because we agree beyond any doubt that he is worth it? He's worth it. And my prayer, the reason we're doing this, the reason we do this, the reason we do anything is because we're saying, yes, he's worth it. We don't want this to be a social club. We don't want this to be a worship experience, as some churches are calling it. No, the church is the body of believers moving on a mission. And this is a time to celebrate, be encouraged, be edified, so we can go and be followers. So we can go and follow. Follow him because he's worth it. And he's worth it because he's a rescuer. And today we're looking at Matthew chapter 11. He's worth it because he brings rest. So let's go to Matthew chapter 11 from verse 25 to 30. Are you with me? And we're going to get into it. It says this, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. All things, all things have been committed to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Somebody say rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. Somebody say rest. Rest Rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm going to get some help this morning from a lot of people, actually. Some of you don't know that you're going to help me, but you are. Um, uh, so, Sammy, can you come up? We're going to have a healthy dose of Sam today. So, come on, let's give Sam a round of applause. <laughs> Joe, can you grab that? So, Sam, I'm just going to, I'll take that off, off of your hands. 
That there. Sam, Sam is the eye. Everyone say, hi, eye. Sammy, you can, you can just move over that side a little bit. So Sam is I. Everyone say hi, I. We're going to get used to that. So Sam represents the we. He represents I. He represents you. He represents me. He's Sam, but he's not Sam anymore. He's I. He is us. He is who we are. He is humanity. This is Sam. Say hi, I. Now, I need, I need God. Who's going to be God? I need three people because how many of you know that God is three in one? He is the triune God. He is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. He is three unique persons of one essence, so I need three. Come on, come forward. Who's coming forward? I need three of you. There we go. Beautiful. Oh, you, there would be plenty more opportunities to come forward. Don't you worry about that. So Jude, you can be the father. You can stick that on you. There we go. Who wants to be the son? Lauren gets to be the son. Come over here. You come over with Jude. Stan, you get to be the Holy Spirit. Oh, what a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and the power right here in Sam. So come, come right over here. Come right over here. Now, you guys are three in one, so you need to be uniquely connected here. And, uh, and together, if you want to just hold that up, you are God. If your arm gets tired, you can raise that down. So we have God. We have God and we have I. God, I. God, I. Right? We read this passage where... Jesus is talking and he says that, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my, and he says something strange. He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke. Now, when I first became a Christian, I thought that was a weird thing to say. Take my yoke. I was like, what is with that? I was like, well, maybe I, I, the human I, here, you know, sometimes we get tired, don't we? Sometimes we, like, we, we love the Lord. We have a revelation of God in Christ Jesus. Like Things are going well for us. And we're, but sometimes life kicks in and we get fatigued. You know, kids, work, um, wives sometimes. Yes. Or if there was a wife up here, I'd, I'd say probably husbands fatigue wives more than wives fatigue husbands. But life gets busy, doesn't it? Life gets full and sometimes like we stuff happens that we didn't see coming and all of a sudden that devotion, the beautiful love that we have for God can get weary and we, we just feel exhausted and we're like, I don't have the strength I need to follow God. Has anyone been there before? Does anyone want to be honest in this place this morning? And so when I first became a Christian, I first started reading this, I was like, this is weird. Why yoke? It's such an odd illustration. I thought, well, maybe it's kind of like how when we're tired, God you know, gives of his spirit. And so he gives of his spirit and he strengthens us. And I started thinking, well, that makes sense because, because a, a yoke, it's like protein. And, um, you know, we have, we have, we have yolk. We want, we want egg. Like we want to fill it with protein when we're working out. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe that's what this is all about. And it's like God sends of his spirit to the eye. And, uh, and he, as he gives his spirit... So the Spirit comes, and he, he comes to the eye. Stan, you can come over. Come, and he gives of himself, and he gives his yoke. And so we take, we take the yoke upon us. We can, we... <laughs> Stan, you can head back. And I thought, maybe that's what this is about. Maybe, maybe it's saying that as we... 
take this, like we receive the Spirit of God, that we are, that we then, we then strengthened and that we will find genuine rest. And then as the more I read this, I realized it's actually not talking about an egg yolk at all. It's a, that's not the type of yolk this is talking about. This is talking about a completely different kind of yolk. This is talking about a yolk that is used to, to bind two oxen together. It's actually talking about tying together. It's talking about this big wooden thing with rope that hooks them and so one oxen can't escape another. It's talking about tethering one to another. That's the yoke it's talking about. I was like, so hang on. What this passage is actually talking about is following. It's actually talking about what Jesus means when he says, come follow me. It's talking about uniting yourself, tethering yourself to Christ. It's actually saying, give up the eyes freedom and submit to Jesus, tie myself to Jesus and as I do, as I yoke myself to Christ, I will find rest. And it's a weird sort of a a passage, you guys right, to just keep standing there for a while. Because sometimes when we read scripture, what we do is we, we read one little bit and we love to read verse 28 to 30, don't we? We love to read verse 28 and 30 and say, yeah, you know, come to me all who are weary. And what we do is we put it in the context of our culture and we put that rest on what we perceive rest to be. And so in our eyes, when we think of rest, we think of sipping mojitas on a hammock in Bali. Like we think of, we think of just this rest of doing nothing, of, of physical rest. And we need physical rest. God gave us the Sabbath. We're supposed to have physical rest. That's not what this sermon is about because I don't think that's what this passage is about. It's talking about a different kind of rest. And to understand it, we have to go back all the way to the garden. See, we've got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, and we have to appreciate what existed at the beginning of time. Because at the beginning of time, it says that God created humanity. He created the eye. He created you and me in his image. And it says that they had this beautiful relationship. And if you go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says something fascinating. Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took man, humanity, uh, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Someone say, work it, and take care of it. Guess what? Adam was busy. Adam was busy. He had a lot to do as a biologist, as a botanist, and any other is that was going around. He's the only dude. He's got to name every animal. He's got to work this garden. He's got to tend this garden. Adam was busy. And we've convinced ourselves in our Western secular culture that we are busier than any culture has ever been before. That is a lie. Imagine trying to mark or trying to write reports, teachers, without copy paste. I'll just let out a secret. (laughs) Imagine living through the war. Imagine living through the depression. Imagine just like generation for generation, generation before us, they have endured, they have struggled, they have labored. Imagine having kids without television. Imagine having all these things. (laughs) 
Imagine trying to research and write books and learn without the internet. Like, they were busy. They have been busy. Human beings have been busy since Adam in the garden. We are distracted. We are not more busy. We just have way more distractions to fill our headspace and fill our time and take our eyes off of the one. If these guys in first century Palestine could follow Jesus, could leave their business, leave their nets and follow him and give their lives wholly to Christ, guess what? So can we. We are not more busy, we are just more distracted. They had just as many responsibilities through every generation that we have today that we are just distracted and they chose to fix their eyes on something and God is saying, you do the same. Let's fix our eyes on Christ. That is what following is. Seek first the kingdom. And this is what we had in the garden. He was busy, but he had relationship. He had beautiful communion with God beautiful communion and then something happened the enemy came in and he spoke a lie he spoke a lie about his identity spoke a lie about I's nature he spoke a lie about I's relationship and connection and rest in God and we believed it And that lie gave birth to an action. That action led to disobedience entering the world. And for the first time, we saw sin. So sin entered our world. And because of sin, we then, in that Genesis 2, we see the curse. And the curse leads to two things, suffering and striving. So now humanity, which had perfect communion, perfect rest, still working... Still doing stuff, not just lying on a hammock, still jobs to do, but resting in God. Full, complete rest, a total, real, eternal security and trust in who God is. That is the rest that we had, this depth of understanding, depth of communion, depth of relationship with God, where I wasn't striving, where my identity was completely bound up in who God said that I was. And now we turn from that, and all of a sudden we see sin, suffering, and striving as humanity seeks and longs and does everything it can to find that which is now broken and missing, to find that sense of rest, which we're supposed to find in God. And what we see is that now the eye going through human history is Because of sin and there's suffering and so within suffering we're now striving and we're we're looking for this sense of rest, we're looking for this sense of communion, this sense of meaning and we're looking for it in a whole host of different things. Can I have some volunteers? I need like 10 of you. And there's all these different things and you can just take one and you can start to stick it. You can be that, you'll be good at that. There you go. Just take them and and start. And you guys just head over there. I told you we're getting interactive. And so the I, oh, Linda, you missed out. So you guys can bunch up, bunch up over there, bunch right up. 
And so the I now, which is seeking rest in God, is now looking for rest, looking to fulfill what is missing in all these things, in everything else. And the enemy sits there and he just starts to speak lies over us. And so we're in this constant battle where we're searching. And and what we find is that we see a yoking. We see a tethering. We see that I comes here. And instead of tying himself to God, tethering, yoking himself to God in the pursuit of rest, in the pursuit of meaning and purpose, begins to tie himself to the things of the world. And he becomes tethered, yoked to the things of the world in this desperate search for spiritual rest. (laughs) But what happens is, is that all of these things which now Western culture is telling us is the means through which we gain rest, all of these things which Western culture is now telling us, like, Don't you dare submit. Don't you dare constrain yourself to something like God. Don't you dare actually let go of individual personal freedom. So what we're doing is say, well, in my freedom, I'm going to chase after all of these things. And we don't realize that as we're doing it, what we're doing is tethering ourselves to these things. We're actually yoking ourselves to these things. And none of these things bring freedom. None of them. So in our freedom, what we're experiencing is death. Because we are, you cannot be untethered to anything. You're always tethered to something. If it's not God, you'll be tethered to something else. And this is what we are doing as human beings. This is what our Western culture is telling us to chase after this stuff. You're free, man. You're free. Do whatever you want to do. That's how you find peace. That's how you find happiness. That's how you find fulfillment. But what is the world telling us? Look at the world. Look at our culture. Look what's happening. The more we tether ourselves to this stuff, the more culture is imploding. Because we're not supposed to be yoked to them. And this is where Jesus, what he says here is so powerful because when you read this in context, this is such an amazing scripture, right? Because like I said before, you're not supposed to read Matthew, Matthew 11, just verse 28 and 30. You're supposed to read Matthew chapter 11 as a whole. If Joe sent me a text message and all I did was read maybe three words, and let's say the text message said, hey Dave, I'm over at the classroom, kids are at the gym, can you... Go find them. (laughs) And I just read, go find them. I'm confused. What? Go find what? Who? What are you talking about? And she's like, I wrote you a whole text message, you idiot. (laughs) Don't just read a few words. Read the whole thing. And when you look at this, Matthew chapter 11, it's beautiful, friends, because it's speaking to this Genesis 1. It's speaking to this state. It starts with John the Baptist. It starts with John the Baptist, a man who has faithfully served Jesus, a man who has given everything for this Messiah, a man who is a godly, wonderful man, and now he's in prison, and in his imprisoned state, Jesus, like he hears that Jesus is cruising about, and he sends word, and he says, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? Why? 
Because he is suffering. Because he's suffering, he's experiencing human suffering, he's experiencing the suffering that comes because of the brokenness of the world, because sin entered the world. And in that suffering state, he's like, what are you doing, God? But John goes to Jesus, there's something in that. Then as you carry on, you get to verse 20, we see this woe to unrepentant towns. And what Jesus is talking about here is that there's all these towns where Jesus is doing these miraculous things and he's doing incredible stuff and they won't repent. He's talking about sin. The sin in the world that would keep us from him, that would cause us to chase after that stuff instead of going to who he is. And then if you bookend it and you go to chapter 12, you realize that Jesus runs into this whole thing about the Sabbath where he's teaching religious leaders and we realize he's talking about religious striving, sin, suffering, striving. And right in the middle... Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying the issues of the world, all this stuff, the striving that you're doing trying to find meaning, the sin in the world, he's like, I am the solution. Come to me, I will give you rest from that. I will restore everything Satan took in the garden. I will give you genuine spiritual rest from sin in suffering and ultimately from suffering and from striving. And what he says is something paradoxical to the world in which we live because he says, in order to find this freedom, you have to give up your freedom. And Sam, you can untether yourselves from the things of this world. And he says, instead of tethering yourself to them, you can grab that rope. What I want you to do, what I want you to do is I want you to come over here and I want you to tether yourself to me. Come and restrict your freedom. Come and put on the constraints of my presence. Come and tether yourself to me. And the world looks at this and says, oh man, like, you know, Christianity, it's just about rules and stuff. But we know from this passage, no, this is about rest. This is about rescue. This is about redemption. This is about restoration. This is about recovery. This is about all these incredible things that we have in God that are saving us from this stuff that the world says will bring us freedom and hope. And it won't. All it leads to is emptiness. All it leads to is decay. And he says, I will bring you rest. Spiritual rest, real rest. And so instead of chasing after sin, as we rest in the sun, we find rest. As we are enduring suffering in the brokenness of the world, we can still find rest. Rest, we can still know the great promise of God that though I suffer, he is bearing up for me an eternal weight of glory. And we know the great promise that at the end of all days, he will wipe every tear away. There is a promise that suffering will cease because of the finished work of Christ. 
And so we have rest in our suffering, in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty. We know that we have hope in that space. We have peace in that place. We, we have rest because of what he's done. And when it comes to striving, this idea that I need power, that I need fame, that I need likes, that I need people to affirm me, that I, 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 I need all these things so that I can validate myself and I can have worth. No, no, when we tether ourselves to God, our worth is in the fact that he first loved us, that he created us in his image and most significantly of all, Lauren, come over here, Sam, come over here, is that the evidence, the evidence of God's love is that in Christ, you can stop there, in Christ, God tethered himself to humanity. That the second person of the, the Trinity, the Son, took on flesh, became God incarnate, and bound himself forever with humanity to redeem and to save humanity so that we could have eternal and not just eternal, but right now in the midst of everything going on, we could genuinely experience spiritual rest. A recovery, a restoration, a renewal of everything Satan took in the garden. Isn't that awesome? It is a recovery of communion. It is a restoration of right relationship. It is a rescue from this that we still so often turn and gaze at and say, oh, I want that freedom. I want that. I want that. I want that. But when we turn and gaze on the sun, (laughs) as we gaze upon the sun, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the Father, consider him. Consider him as we consider him and we fix our eyes on him and we gaze upon him. All of a sudden, these things, we realize they will not suffice. And the sacrifice, the commitment, the constraint becomes a joy, friends. It becomes a joy. It becomes something that we look forward to, this relationship with God. It becomes something that is so much greater. It's the pearl of great price. And it enables us every day. This is still attractive because Satan's a really good deceiver. He's really good at lying. He knows our weak spots and he seeks. It's a battle in the mind, friends. He's not the big evil picture that we put on our pages and people have convinced us to believe. No, he is a deceiver. And so he will still whisper. And at times we go, oh, I'm drawn to that. Keep our eyes on the sun. When the kingdom is first, when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, All these things are added unto us in right order, right time, right place. But it has to be the pearl of great price. And he is the one, the only one who can give us rest. And this is why he's worth it. Because in a world that promises rest, in a world that promises security, in a world that promises hope, in a world that promises freedom, all it provides are those broken waters that we talked about last week. And yet, when we submit ourselves to Christ, this is where we find rest and rest for ourselves. Can we give all these guys a great round of applause?
Band, you can come up. Band, you can come up. And we're going to move into a um, we're going to move into a time of communion as we respond. Because what I what I've just been captivated on this week, what I've been captivated on this week as I've been reading was that Philippians three passage that we read at the beginning. That Paul could say, what is more, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Paul had a lot going for him in his life. He was really kicking some goals. And he gave all of that up to chase after Christ for a life of suffering, for a life of difficulty, because for him, Jesus was worth it, because he understood that Christ was the one who gave us rest from all of that. He gave us rest from the striving. He actually rescued and redeemed us from the sin. And he actually provides empowerment. He actually releases empowerment for those who are suffering. He actually gives comfort and peace in our suffering. He gives hope in all of that. He's the one who deals with those three issues from the garden. Only Jesus can do it. And he did it by taking on flesh, by going to a cross, by paying the price for our decisions and our sin, suffering unto death, that we might walk eternally in his life. Jesus brought us rest. Jesus brought us rest. And I just feel to say right now over this place, for those of you who are, you know, you're like, yeah, amen. He, like, he paid the price for my sin. Amen. He set me free from that. He's rescued me from that. And you're saying, yeah, amen. I don't want to strive. I'm not going to strive in my own strength. I'm going, to, I'm going to genuinely rest. I still have to work. I still have to do stuff. But I know who I am in Christ. I no longer am seeking others to affirm me. I'm affirmed by who he is and who he said I am and what he's done for me. And I'm going to rest in that. But some of you are going through some stuff and you're suffering. And I just wanted to speak that beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians, I think, where it says, where Paul says, these light and momentary afflictions are bearing up for us an eternal weight of glory that far exceeds them all. Paul's affliction by our standards wasn't light. He's a guy who suffered something ferociously and yet in the light of the pearl of great price, he says light and momentary. And I just want to speak that out today that Jesus is worth it, whatever you're going through. He's worth it in this space. He is worth it. He is worth it. And he is the one who can bring that rest in the midst of what you're traveling through, in the midst of your suffering, so that when you see him, you catch a glimpse of his cross, when you catch a glimpse of his body that was broken for you, when you catch a glimpse of his blood that was shed for you, that you might know life. When you see his suffering, that you would know what you are enduring. Yes, it's difficult. We don't want to downplay it. But compared to the glory of what God has done in Christ it is light and momentary and a day will come when day will pass and you will stand with him forever and ever and ever and ever and he's with you now it is not just that 
It is this, now, now, to strengthen, to empower, to encourage, and to equip, and to know that you do not walk this alone. Because there's a broken body, and there's blood, and there's a church that he instituted to be his hands and feet, and to run with us, so that when we're struggling, we would know that there is rest in Christ, a rest no one else can provide. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray, and then as we do that, I'm going to invite you to come and share in communion. In the back corner is our gluten-free corner. Over here, you can go, well, you've got to be, you know, sensitive to these things these days. So come and take communion. And I want to invite you to do whatever you want to do in that space. You can just take it and sit and be with God for a moment. You could take it. You can come and kneel. If you want to do that, you can just stand and lift your hands. You can do whatever you want to do. If you want prayer, come and pray with each other. And if you've got faith to pray and you feel like you today you want to encourage some people, then come forward and be prayers. A prayer team that prays before church, come and pray. And let's just have a moment to just reflect on the rest that God has brought us in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are and what you have done. And thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Son. Thank you that you freely gave your Son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you, Father God, that you are the one who restores everything Satan took in that garden. You're the one who brings rest. You're the one who restores communion, who revitalizes relationship. You took it upon yourself. You tethered yourself to us that we might tether ourselves to you. So, Lord, we don't want a quick fix. We don't want to just down that yoke and be on with our lives. We want to tie ourselves to you. We want to tether ourselves to you. We want to truly yoke ourselves to you. That you would lead us into genuine, true freedom and rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.